What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm Ryan Kramer. I'm your host today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm with uh, Ping Pong Payments. For those of you who don't know me or haven't tuned in, uh, I'm the affiliate marketing manager here for Ping Pong Payments. So welcome for joining us live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, all the other social media channels. Thanks for joining us. I am joined today. I have a very special guest with me, Francois from Novaland. Uh, Francois is the business development uh, I would say partnerships, kind of the jack of all trades, person who knows what he's talking about over there at Novaland. Uh, <laughs> I, I, call, I, I have a very long title for you, uh, not just the business development manager, but Francois, welcome. Thank you for having me, Ryan. This is uh, probably one of the more exciting ones <laughs> that I'm joining on after uh, hearing a lot of your different topics that, that you talked about. So I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no problem. And for those of you uh, who don't know, uh, we at Crossover Commerce touch on a little bit of everything in the e-commerce market, anywhere from like funding. Uh, last week, we talked about just agencies. Weeks before that, we talked PPC, Prime Day. We talked a little bit about everything. So I needed someone to talk about supply chain logistics, You know, not just the beautiful side and thinking like, hey, it's easy to get my product from you know India or China over to the United States or sourcing it from uh, you know, different ways, either sourcing or even just, you know, getting my product from point A to point B. I need someone to talk about what, what really goes on, what happens and what are the kind of the ugly truths about it? Because it's not all sunshine and rainbows, like a lot of people want to think. Uh, but Francois is here to, to really kind of like talk about those kinds of misconceptions. Um, but we want to answer those questions so that we're educating and giving you a different perspective in terms of what we can do to either help you, uh, you know, with that supply chain or just answer general questions that you might have as a consumer. So Francois, misconceptions, man, we, we had so many topics that we were discussing before this, this kind of live session, it can go a lot of different places. So why don't you kind of walk me through maybe a little bit about your background, kind of establish yourself, you know, why you are where you are and, uh, we can go from there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, one of the few ones that just got lucky with a great company uh, right when they sort of got off the ground uh, here at Novyland. And boy, I, I mean, I was part of the first five, um, you know, just members, part of the team. And the whole point of it was really to streamline and make the supply chain a lot safer uh, overall. And that's our goal. That's our mission. Um, and we saw that there was this huge need with Amazon sellers and particularly because, and I know everyone has seen this, these ads, if, if you thought about selling on Amazon or even hinted at selling on Amazon, I'm sure your phone listened to you and popped up an ad for you that says, Hey, you know, invest a thousand bucks, make a million. Um, but what they don't say, and you might even see videos about, you know, those that are actually successful. Uh, I just watched, um, I believe it's, uh, Seth, Seth Kniet. Up or something, something yes, like yes, yeah. yes 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 just, just one time yep yes i just saw one of his videos and uh he was talking to someone that made 16 million dollars and they uh brought up a great point that there's all these different courses that will tell you hey you know it's so easy and like you said you know it's just rainbows and, and unicorns and 
you could do all these different things with Amazon. And that's the truth. You could make a ton of money on Amazon, but they don't tell you the ugly truths in between. They don't tell you about the losses that they had, the you know, thousands of dollars that they invested and it just flopped. Uh, so they had to you know, just try to break even or they just con considered a com complete loss. Uh, because this ultimately is an investment, right? This is not a side hustle like it might have been, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, this should not be seen as a side gig or side project. Uh, this can ultimately be a 40 to 80 hour work week for you, especially because you are the, you know, the CEO, you are the purchasing manager, you are the product designer and engineer, uh, you are the uh, receiving manager. I mean, you're so many different uh, you're wearing so many different hats right. uh, that it's easy to lose track of, of, hey, this is an investment. I need to know when to cut my losses. I also need to know when to diversify uh, you know, certain roles. Uh, so whether that's the purchasing or the sourcing. Um, and so that's why I think this topic uh, is so valuable because people don't really realize what is going on behind the scenes. Why are people losing money? Uh, and, and it's not because, uh, you know, they just made a bad investment. Uh, it's more than likely because uh, they just didn't know what was going on in the background. They didn't know that they had to come prepared. Um, I mean, even in the RFQs, we see it all the time. Uh, but I guess that's uh, a little bit of why I'm here. Uh, in regards to the company, I got really lucky. I was in school uh, studying industrial engineering. A lot of it had to do with processes and manufacturing and international supply chain. Uh, at West Virginia University, and uh, the team kept me on after that. Uh, and so, you know, like you said before, I do wear sort of uh, a thousand hats, uh, but I love it. it. It's it's exciting stuff. It's uh, uh, I, I get to speak with you, and I get to speak with so many other. <laughs> I never would have thought that I was able to uh, beforehand. Yeah, and that's kind of the funny thing about startups because Novaland is considered a startup. You guys are located in Atlanta, correct? You guys, as you sip your cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we, gotcha. From Boston, but yeah, Atlanta. We have another office in California, two more in China, one in Vietnam. So we're still a startup, even though we have five right. offices. Um, and we treat it very much so. So we're very nimble. We listen to all of our users. Uh, one of the, I think the most fulfilling aspects of it uh, is that I get to speak to every single one of our users as soon as they sign up. And I get to talk to them about some of these downfalls and what to expect. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're so you're a startup, you're international. So your expertise kind of expands more than just like, Hey, I I'm in my own office. I, I know what I'm talking about. You guys have lived a lot. You've lived through it, right? You, you have people who have sold before you have, um, people who are connected in the sourcing industry, the logistics industry. That's obviously what you guys do. So just like ping pong where we are a global company you guys are a global company technically a startup as well so what what kind of with with the kind of the vision of novaland how did that come about what was that niche that uh, you guys you guys wanted to take on and and make it more of a you know this this is something we can really help out people with well just like most other or I guess not most, but a lot of other startups, uh, we wanted to go for the big companies, the enterprise mm -hmm. level companies and just take over their supply chain. Uh, of course, that's easier said than done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and so we started building out all these processes and uh, we kind of treated it more of a sourcing agency uh, where you know there was one person that was sort of wearing multiple hats throughout supply chain. Uh, and that's where a lot of people know or what a lot of people know as uh, a sourcing agent, a true sourcing agent that helps with the export, with the import, uh, with the factory finding. 
Uh, and what we realized was that you can really break these down into specialties. So you could have someone that is really, really, really good at working with factories and negotiating with them uh, and strategically even sourcing those uh, those Noviland partners within uh, you know different parts of China because you do business in, in different ways in different parts of China as well. And so we developed this role called a, a product specialist and, and they also double as a factory specialist. Uh, and they work with all of our users to really develop the products, work with the factories to get the right quotes, uh, keep everything accurate, drop the contracts correctly, things like that as well. Uh, and then you have you know, your logistics and order managers. And they're the ones that oversee the actual export and import process. Uh, they'll handle some of the packaging. They'll work with our IT team to develop the, uh, the shipping algorithms also. Uh, and then we also have quality control and, um, quality control inspectors. <laughs> and uh, of course they handle the quality control side of things. Uh, so when you have one person that's overseeing every aspect of it, uh, it really becomes a human resource thing where you are, you know, you have, you have so much time on your hands uh, within one day. So you can only service so many users and you can only do that so effectively. Uh, so we developed all these individual roles and now everyone has their own individual tasks within it. Uh, and that way, you know, if someone has a problem with the production, then we talk to a product specialist. If someone has a problem with logistics, we talk to an order manager. And they're not distracted from their specialties. So they actually know what they're talking about. They, they know how to properly classify HS codes. Uh, they know, you know, uh, what's going on with general rate increases, with port congestion, particularly in Q4, it's so important. Um, and so every single one of those positions can really catch those, uh, those, those, I guess, steep learning curves that traditionally right. Amazon sellers tend to have early on. So you guys have a more focused approach instead of uh, one person who kind of knows a little bit about everything. Is that correct? You painted it beautifully with just a lot fewer words. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, man, that's what I do. That's my job. <laughs> Use less words and try to say more. No, that, that makes sense because I know there's a lot of people who are like, uh, going back to your courses and when you were kind of alluding to every, uh, to everyone earlier, uh, for those of you who don't know or just don't sell on Amazon or just trying to think about selling on e-commerce, a lot of people are, where do I start? Where do I, you know, where do I get information? And a lot of people in my former jobs and your job there, a lot of people go to courses and those courses are either consumed for free or they look at YouTube tutorials, whether it's like how to sell on Amazon, how to start sourcing your first product. And by sourcing, I mean finding a product to sell on Amazon in general. And then just people start thinking, wait a minute. I, I thought Amazon sold all these products. There's people actually selling these products, like other individuals like you and me. So it starts to like open up this door of world of Amazon marketplaces. And that's kind of the beauty about people just kind of know the tip of the iceberg when they go on Amazon, they purchase a product that looks really cool. They put in a keyword, like I'm gonna see it in two days once I purchase it. There's so much more to that. And that's kind of what we, you and I today are here to open up that door and kind of talk about some of the, this kind of the ugly truths behind it, because nowadays Amazon is actually probably, I would say of recent percentages, if you would agree or disagree, it's around 60 plus percent is third party sellers Right, is the products that you're finding on Amazon. So it's not just Amazon selling their own products. It's people like working out of their homes. They're going to be finding a product that they, uh, they talk to a sourcing agent or a factory in the United States or in Europe or in China or in India, and they're going to bring that product to a warehouse 
and they're going to start selling out on marketplaces like Amazon. So that's where you guys come in is to help muddle through and find those kinds of great, uh, great factories, great places to source, uh, great ways to source those products and go from there. And so that, that's kind of the tricky part is like, where do you start? And that, and that's, and that's what you were alluding to with courses. Coursework can either be through you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars of going through videos and researching, or it's going to be talking to, you know, individuals like us who are, you know, have done it, have educated people and they kind of walk you through and it's kind of a learning curve. Well, even with, you know, sourcing those products initially, just finding a product to sell on Amazon and actually getting a product to Amazon, there's a huge disconnect in education, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there, there's a ton that talks about finding a product and they try to lay out this cookie cutter method for, hey, look for something that's trending, non-seasonal, um, you know, it's small, it's lightweight, uh, high volumes, low competition. They, they throw out all these buzzwords to really capture uh, hey, I know what I'm talking about, uh, that, that sort of audience. And they, they try to say, you know, hey, this is how you find a supplier on Alibaba. This is how you vet them. But there is no two methods that are ex going to work exactly the same every time. There, uh, to put it short, there's no cookie cutter method to sourcing from overseas um, at all, ever, no, no matter what anyone says. Someone could have been successful doing it the same way 10 times, but on their 11th time, it's completely different because they're thrown a new ball game. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest thing is, is just being prepared for it. I think, and it's being educated about it. And that's why uh, I truly do appreciate that you brought us in uh, to talk about this because that was the topic that I wanted to say, actually, just the preparedness. Uh, and this is why we have an RFQ guideline. I'll give it to you after this to, so you can plug in the rest of the audience. <laughs> For sure. Um, but I know we just uh, released a, um, I believe it was an Instagram story that just talks about what to include in a, when I say RFQ, it's a request for a quote from suppliers overseas. Right. Uh, and of course, aside from the product specifications, it's important to also realize the packaging specifications. Uh, mm -hmm. What's going to go on that box? Can you do without a fully customized box? Can you sell it in just a plain brown box with a sticker on it? Um, how protected is that product? You know, are you going to need EPS or expanded polystyrene, which a lot of us know as styrofoam, but your factories may not know that as styrofoam. Uh, and then key quality indicators aside from that. Uh, so, you know, letting the factory know, hey, these are some of the, the indicators that I am looking for when I'm inspecting this product. Um, so, oh, do you hear that in the background? There's a little bit. It's okay. I, I okay. It's not a big problem. <laughs> it's Let okay. It's part of <laughs> this it's is part of get from home. <laughs> oh no, it's a part of going live. And like once you I'll, I'll kind of like jump on here and kind of reintroduce us to the audience. Everyone, again, welcome. Uh, my name is Ryan Kramer I'm with Ping Pong Payments. I'm the affiliate marketing manager here, and my job is to bring you education and content in a different perspective on different entities in the e-commerce uh, atmosphere. So whether that's you know sourcing and shipping, finding your products, ranking your products, um, you know, if I talk too fast, let me know because I have so much on my plate and on my mind to tell you. Uh, but uh, we, my job here is to obviously. Sorry about that. Oh no, problem, no problem whatsoever. So my job here is to 
get people's information and to distribute it in an educational way and give a different perspective. It's not a hard sell on a different company or different service. Our job here is to provide opportunity for you as Amazon sellers, wherever you're located around the world, to get the best information that you can possible to make sure that you are going to grow as an entrepreneur, because that's at the end of the day, what we want to do. Um, we're live right now. Oh, <laughs> nope. I, no, I got, I, I don't have you, Francois, so I'll keep talking until, uh-oh, that's not good. Sorry so let me clear everything off. Oh, no, it's okay. Uh, if you want to change your settings, I can keep talking. Um, but yeah, well, until we get Francois back, um, and he can hear us, I'll, I'll keep talking to our audience. So everyone, uh, my job here is to kind of give that educational, uh, perspective on what we do, um, with, uh, both ping pong payments in general, because we are cross-border payments. Uh, entity. Um, this is something where I invite guests on for people that I know in the industry who can help answer questions. Um, both on, you know, today we have Francois with Novalium about logistics and the 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 kind of ups and downs of the logistics uh, supply chain, um, sourcing products from overseas or sourcing from uh, <laughs> different different companies. So uh, maybe Francois has me back. Francois, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, just reconnecting this really quick. Francois, we got your, uh, <laughs> if you can see some of the comments we have coming in. Thanks everyone for letting us know that <laughs> you have a, uh, we have a couple comments. The first comments we have, the joys of technology. I agree, Hamish. That is completely true. The joys of technology and going live. So um, in the world, I, I, will con I will continue to keep on talking uh, until I have Francois back. Francois, do you have me? <laughs> I will be Can you back hear me? one second. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to get no problem. headphones. The, again, again, the joys of technology. Okay. Like I said, Lisa says the joys of working from home. Well, we're good to go back. <laughs> you got me back. And for, oh, for those of you who don't know, yeah, that. I was, hey, no problem. The joys of working from home, like Lisa says. I know Lisa works with you over at Novaland. So, <laughs> hello, Lisa. Thanks for joining in yeah. and tuning in with us. Um, but yeah, everyone, again, uh, to, that, that's kind of the point of what we're talking with, with crossover commerce. Um, again, with having people on like Francois kind of going through the, you know, kind of going through the educational purposes of what we're doing here. Uh, we both work for companies that offer a different service in the e-commerce space, but we want to educate you, uh, the, either the seller, or if you have a problem, we want to make sure we're bringing great educational content in order to you know, to get you a different perspective and hopefully grow in that context. So I'll, I'll bring Francois back in here. Francois. Yes. Welcome back. Thank you. It was, uh, I, I guess the Bluetooth <laughs> from the, the shower room somehow picked up on my girlfriend's phone. It was a whole mess, but I apologize. <laughs> hey, joys of being live, man. Uh, I love it. I I've had, I've forgotten for those of you who haven't tuned in before or this is your first time live on the show. I've forgotten the name of the show. I've forgotten uh, that my microphone is off, so I've done that before. Uh, there, there's all, a lot of different things that can just go wrong going live. So thanks for thanks again for everyone who, who's tuning in. Hopefully you stayed with us um, on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on Facebook um, as well. So uh, Francois, kind of jumping back into it, we're talking misconceptions of the supply chain. And if you're just joining us, um, if you have questions, comment on the, uh, submit your com uh, questions on the comments below. We will see all of those and we want to make sure we answer any kind of questions that you guys have. So misconceptions. So we talked a little bit about just education and, you know, starting your, uh, your journey in terms of the supply chain, how you're finding it. Let's say, for example, you go through the courses, you're ready to make that, that 
that leap of a product. Like this is the next product that I think I can invest in and I can, you know, I, I can make some money on the Amazon marketplace or Shopify or wherever you're selling. What's kind of those next steps that you educate your customers, your clients in order to, you know, grow and kind of guide them along the right path? Yeah. So uh, for starters, it's being realistic with a budget. Um, I, I think really understanding what you are willing to pay uh, for your products is important. So setting a target price um, and uh, there's this new concept in, in sort of developing all this uh, that, that I've been thinking a lot about. And it's actually, it got triggered from listening to one of Reid Hoffman's uh, Masters of Scale podcasts. Uh, they were talking about it for their employees, but it translates really well to Amazon sellers. Uh, and that's having a need and a wish list. Uh, and so on that need list, it's really understanding things like, what is your target pricing? What is your maximum budget? So I'm not willing to spend over $6,000 for product and shipping, for example. Um, I'm not willing to pay more than $5 for this product. And not going in necessarily with an approach of, I'm gonna negotiate this down to as little as I possibly can before even reaching out to anyone. Um, so just to stick to the, the, the pricing topic, if, you, if your manufacturer can give you at you know, $5, and you said, I need this product to be $5. It's not going in and thinking, oh, I, but I, I think I could get it down to 480. Now, negotiating is a great strategy, of course, to, to increase those margins for you, uh, but that's not the best way to establish a long lasting relationship with your suppliers. Uh, because first thing that they're gonna see is, oh, this guy's difficult, I don't, I don't wanna work with them. I mean, they're, they're asking me for, 20% off right now, how are they going to be in six months? What's going to happen if, you know, there's a few defects. Um, and so approaching it uh, with, with those two needs and, and that the wishes, um, same thing on the products and the packaging, you know, do you need that card insert or is that 15, you know, additional cents uh, going to translate to an additional dollar for your product sales or a better customer experience or more reviews. Um, so understanding all these needs is important. Uh, and then having that wish list is just as important because it gives you a long-term strategy, right? I wish this product could get down to 450. Now, how do I make that happen? Uh, I'll speak to my supplier. I'll say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just testing the market this time. I only want 500 units. And they'll listen. They'll say, okay, you know, I, I appreciate your honesty or I can't just do, you know, I can't do it. It's peak season. I need 2000 MOQ, uh, things like that. Uh, and then you'll get a quick no, right? right? But at least you're not getting dragged on with that maybe where you could be talking to five other manufacturers that are saying, yeah, I could give it to you at $5 and it can have these specifications and at 500 MOQ. And if you want to hit 450, you're going to have to order you know, 35 to 4,000 units. Right. Um, so it's developing so, a need and a wish list, I, I think is uh, most important to begin with. Absolutely. And you as a seller, and I think the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest piece of advice is that make sure you know your your budget and make sure you know how much money you can spend going into this and invest in this because I think that's a big key that a lot of people don't you know don't necessarily know is do your do your work beforehand get quotes from multiple manufacturers if you're looking to start a product if it's a couple thousand units and that's what MLQ would be you know uh, units that you would have to order from them to ship overseas um, in minimum quantity uh, is, is, is what it stands for. So things like that, you have to do the research beforehand and make sure that you have the right funds in order to be able to pay those suppliers. And Francois, what, what's kind of, how do you introduce people, uh, potential sellers to those 
those different manu uh, manufacturers or sourcing agents? Is that you have a list that you guys work with that you're certified or how, where do you direct people to get started on that? Yeah, so we don't ever actually have them do a one-on-one -on -one interaction with manufacturers. Um, in part, it's due to education. It's due to them not necessarily knowing the most effective way to work with those manufacturers. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, I mean, we work with, you know, Fortune 500 companies where their purchasing manager uh, might not be the best suited to negotiating with factories. Um, it could be a culture thing. It could be, uh, you know, they're just too aggressive with their negotiations and they may not see the potential compromises that the factory is making. Uh, that's fine. That's what we are really good at. Uh, so whenever a factory uh, will say yes, uh, because it's it's very commonplace for a factory not to necessarily say, uh, you know, I want to add this handle on to a regular cup. They'll just say, yes, uh, yes, we could do that. They won't say, yes, that's five additional cents. And this is the extra manufacturing uh, process that has to go into it. That's the extra finishing process. And this is why it's an additional 50 cents. Um, now with us, we will pry into those details. We will ask the factories, you know, what exactly are you changing uh, to, to be able to justify this price? And, and how are you able to achieve, you know, such a cheap price or such an expensive price? Um, and just being able to do that, uh, one, in Chinese, uh, two, understanding the culture fully and, and being able to, uh, to talk to them uh, about the manufacturing process is just as important. Um, and three, trying to find the red flags. So trying to find, you know, are they just saying that they could do this or are they excited about it? Or are they telling me the manufacturing process that go into it? Um, a very knowledgeable factory will go into those details with you. And so it, that's just one red flag that we look for. Um, but I guess to go back to your question, uh, our users tend to work directly with us and our products, okay. those ones that are uh, you know, specialized in it. Uh, and then we work with the factories on their behalf. Sure. It makes sense. And that, and that's something that a lot of people, you know, a little, maybe might be a little scared to do um, initially just because whether it's the, the communication barrier, whether it's just the, Hey, I don't know who I want to deal with or negotiate on that behalf. That's where a lot of people maybe, maybe are just a little weary to jump in. Um, there are plenty of, I know there are lots of different companies that do what you guys do. What do you, what do you suggest to them when they're saying, Hey, I'm between, I've worked with these kind of sourcing agents in the past is, and that's a very broad term. I, I wouldn't classify every person as a sourcing agent, but companies like Novaland, what, what's kind of that difference factor that, you know, you can say, well, we actually have these kinds of benefits and factors. Is it just because your relationship with factories? Is it, you know, you guys have gone through the weeds so you can say, Hey, we've done this before we know, and we can learn from what our mistakes and we've iterated from that. Well, I think the biggest two things are uh, honesty and communication because uh, we really love to treat every single one of our users as a partner rather than just a transaction. Uh, even the ones that try to approach us as just a transaction, uh, which is perfectly fine. Right. Uh, sort of in this age of consumerism, everyone's leaning towards transactions over relationships. Um, we'll tell you if we don't have a factory for you, we'll tell you if the sample that we receive just seems like a, a horrible quality sample, uh, and we'll actually work on your behalf. So we never accept money from the manufacturers, whereas uh, traditionally in sort of a sourcing agency model or a trade agency model, uh, they'll charge both the buyer and the seller. Uh, so you're not necessarily always, uh, you know, 
your best interest isn't their best interest, uh, I, I guess is one uh, key factor in it. It's also uh, streamlining those communications uh, and weeding out the factories that uh, aren't honest about what they can do. Um, and, and I see Hamish, you know, uh, mentioned transparency is key. It's that's true, uh, but on both sides. So this is why we also speak with all of our users uh, because we have to know their honest plans. It's it's you can only go so far when you start off a relationship with a lie. So saying, hey, I'm going to order 200 units this time, but the next time I, I promise or you know I swear it's, it'll be 5,000 units. You know, if that product's not successful you're not going to order 5,000 units. There's no reason of saying that you're going to order 5,000 units. Right. Um, and so when we talk to factories, we're also honest with them. We tell them, hey, look, these are the types of users that, you know, is look, are working on this project. Um, this is, you know, the actual budget. And then we start working on price negotiations. Um, so if we can get it for $1.50 and you're looking for it for $2, you'll see $1.50 from us. Uh, biggest part there is that we understand that money is better used in your pockets, whether it's for PPC, whether it's for ordering more products. Um, we never make money unless any of our users place an order. We don't charge for quotes. We don't charge for uh, samples. Uh, you don't, we don't literally don't make any money until someone places an order. <laughs> so Which is a scary thing on the business side, everyone. I'm just telling you for, for a fact, it it's a scary thing, but I think that that's a, that's a good, model to have as a business because you want to do right by the customer because you want to find quality products if the customer is doing well your company will do well and vice versa so you, you know you're on behalf of the customer if they're not happy they're obviously not going to work with you and then no one's going to buy the product that's a missed opportunity for everyone involved so i i think that that definitely makes sense what's kind of the scariest maybe we'll, we'll start driving from the path a little bit maybe what's some of the scariest things that you as a company or you personally have seen uh, come across maybe it's because of a pan the pandemic we're in maybe it's because of just more people are trying to jump into the e-commerce space what what's kind of those scary scarier stories maybe you can share with people and how did you guys kind of learn or grow from that well it was actually one of our um, current customers uh, down in Florida they were looking for a LDPE resin uh, to, to make and, and what does that mean for people who don't know uh, LDP resin are little resin pellets, essentially, that uh, a manufacturer in the U.S. would use to manufacture plastic products. Okay. Uh, so they were making bags, I believe they were, and uh, they, they came in for a quote with us, and I believe we were $2,000 over per ton uh, of the resin than someone that they found on Alibaba. Completely mm -hmm. true story. Um, yeah, hand of the Bible, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> They so you got, you guys found the product. It was you quoted them two grand more, and then someone else found the more. same product on Alibaba. Which for people who don't know Alibaba, it's a sourcing company. Basically, they manufacture very similar to Novaland, where you can where you can source products from Alibaba, and it's one of the larger, I would say, sourcing uh, What's sources. Yeah, it's a marketplace. Yeah. I mean, it's a marketplace, but you can buy goods from there essentially. Right, right. So you, it's an open marketplace similar to you know. Craigslist, if you're familiar with Craigslist uh, in, in the early 2000s, where right. anyone can sign up as a supplier, anyone can transact with you, uh, very pay to play, not necessarily a bad thing, uh, because it's a very commendable marketplace, but you can also pay to become a verified gold supplier, and that process uh, itself isn't the most transparent. 
But uh, going back to that story where we were $2,000 more, we were just about fair market value. Um, and they decided, okay, I'm going to go with the other supplier. They sent me samples. They sent them an entire sample, which was a um, uh, essentially a, a drum filled with the resin. Uh, they were like, okay, this must be legit. They're $2,000 less. It's going to be a long-term, you know, annual contract. Mm -hmm. They signed it. They sent it over. They received their first container, all beach sand. No, no. No resin, no resin whatsoever, all beach sand filled in the drums themselves. So you're telling me, so they sent a legitimate sample and then they yes. filled the order for how much, how many units they put that order in and then they filled it with beach sand? Filled it with beach sand. So what, what's kind of the not, ramifications of that if you're a seller? You're like, not, there's nothing they could do about it because okay. they spent, I think it was maybe like forty, fifty thousand $50,000. They had a contract with them, uh, but uh, to litigate over forty dollars or $50,000, you're going to be investing a few hundred thousand dollars most likely. Uh, right. Plus, you have to find the company. The company obviously just took down all the profile and uh, just disappeared. It's a fly by night company uh, in an open marketplace, uh, which was the unfortunate side. So. Uh, now they still have to work on the project, and we help them out with, with you know, uh, finding a trusted source uh, to, to actually source that resin. I think that was one of the scariest uh, stories I've heard from one of our users. Uh, but I, I guess scary as a company, it's making sure everyone's happy all the time on both sides, uh, making sure that the factories are happy, making sure that all of our users are happy. Uh, and if that doesn't terrify a company, uh, then you're not, you shouldn't be in the service industry. Uh, I mean, if, if you're not trying to do right by your users at all times, uh, you shouldn't be servicing anyone. Uh, so I, I guess to answer it fairly broadly, it, it, it is, you know, making sure everyone's happy. <laughs> of course, people are going to be unhappy, uh, but it's being proactive and making sure that, you know, they don't leave with a bad taste in their mouth, uh, that right. you are able to solve the problems for them. Um, and make their lives easier uh, because the supply chain is messy. Things are going to go wrong no matter who's dealing with it. Uh, but it's, do you have the right partners on your side to actually deal with them as well? Right. So when it comes to shipping and things like that, obviously manufacturers, you know, are making the product. What, what about the, you know, the shipping side of things? Because for a lot of people don't know, you know, if you're shipping from an overseas supplier, you have to plan weeks, if not months in advance for even just the slightest hiccup, whether it's, you know, maybe go through some of those like stories of if people don't understand kind of the timeline, people right now are placing orders for the Q1, Q2, more, more than likely Q1 right now still for next year. Um, they've already done their sourcing. They've already done their inventory uh, drop into like Amazon warehouses, their own warehouses to, to fulfill goods already. They did that earlier this summer. So when you're projecting those kinds of timelines, how are you working with people to understand like, Hey, this could potentially happen. Like your freighter can tip over in the ocean. You're, you know, you could be caught up in customs. You could, your, you know, your truck could not get to the warehouse or it just not get there. What, what do you, what are you guys, you know, telling people and how do you like walk them down that line? Yeah. And, and that's going back to transparency. I think, uh, like I just mentioned, you know, nothing is ever going to be 100% guaranteed or risk-free. Uh, but it's about mitigating as much as, as many of those, those risks as possible. So properly classifying HS codes, uh, booking that vessel two to three weeks in advance, uh, you know, as a freight forwarder, telling your customers that 
the price that you're, you're getting right now, you know, one month in advance is more than likely not going to be the same price at the end. Uh, so making sure that they account for that, being honest about the space that they're actually using. I've seen so many freight forwarders quote, you know, three or four cubic meters. And when they came to us, we found out, well, based on your outer, you know, box dimensions, it's only about two. Uh, so you're, you should only be paying for two. Um, and also, you know, being proactive in every step of the way. So working with the trucking companies to make sure that they pick up from the docks on time and that, you know, we're not going to pay uh, extra in, in demerage or uh, in truck holding fees, which so many companies are getting hit with now more than ever because they are using third party logistics centers. Uh, and so for, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, uh, Amazon FBA does a great job with a lot of uh, partner trucking companies where they can drop off, you know, LCL or small parcel or full truckload or even for full containers there. Um, and they'll give them back another container and then they can take them back. But now when you're working with a 3PL warehouse or a fulfillment warehouse, because uh, let's say Amazon is throttling your inventory or uh, you got wise and you wanted to start doing multi-channel fulfillment. So let's say, you know, eBay and Walmart and Target and uh, Wayfair and all these different marketplaces also. Well, now when you're shipping to them, they don't have those same capabilities. Uh, and they're gonna have much tighter space capacities where Amazon obviously has these massive warehouses that can take in these different sizes of products and a lot of automation involved with it. Uh, a general 3PL warehouse is, is very traditionally, uh, you know, just a couple of guys that are unloading from a container. Uh, and so they're coordinating with the truckers. The truckers need to coordinate with the freight forwarders. Freight forwarders need to coordinate with the suppliers. Um, and if you just mess up in one link of that, your, your entire process is screwed. You, you could be paying hundreds. I've seen in some instances thousands of dollars uh, in truck storage yards and uh, truck waiting fees because you only have two hours to unload a container typically for free. Um, I've seen truckers, uh, and th this has even happened in our warehouses where someone is shipping something to us and the truckers don't call us until the last free day or it's called the LFD uh, for short. And they'll say, hey, we have a container. We need to send it in 15 minutes. I'm like, well, why don't you tell us before? We, we exactly. Talk. <laughs> <laughs> we and talked now, about this, guys. To give us a heads up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so now the shipper is resulted in, in paying, you know, daily truck yard fees, or if you receive it, they may be paying their warehousing, you know, additional fees for receiving it that day um, for truck waiting time. It could be up to, you know, $80, $90 an hour. Uh, so it's being informed about all these things. And, and what we really try to do is, is let all of our users know, hey, these are the risks that you're taking right now. It's, it's not preventable uh, if you wait until the last second, uh, obviously, but we try to prevent them by actually taking care of it for them. Uh, so where they might be at work and you know their head's buried in their computer, we're, th we're saying, you know, hey, this is gonna arrive to the US port in two weeks. Now we have to clear it through customs. Let's go ahead and send those declarations in uh, to try to clear it early, not have it wait or be inspected by customs there. Um, make sure that the truckers are picking it up on time, making sure it's being delivered and coordinated on time. Uh, and of course, things slip through the cracks, but it's, uh, again, having someone that represents you uh, that can take care of those problems uh, in real time and, and proactively. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what's kind of the next steps for Novaland in kind of those iterations? Is it 
Is it basically expanding your your offering in terms of like services, or is it just getting better at like maybe it's an international focus? Uh, you guys are all located all over all over the world. Let me speak a little bit better. Um, so you guys are working with both United States sellers, but also international sellers. I'm assuming, correct? Right, right. So we have um, customers in Australia, France, I believe Germany. UK definitely, Canada, the US. Uh, but next steps for us are really uh, expanding our network, I would say. I mean, we've gotten into all the services, so we handle sourcing, we handle logistics, we handle quality control, we handle 3PF fulfillment and warehousing. Um, but it's opening up that factory network to be uh, outside of just China. Uh, so uh, you know, obviously it's uh, in the next decade, there's gonna be this China plus one uh, which mm -hmm. Bardwash talks a lot about. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've had a few conversations with her extremely intelligent woman. She knows what she's talking about when she, when it comes to, uh, you know, sourcing in India and manufacturing and logistics. Right. Um, but I, I think that's one of our key focuses. Uh, it's opening that up to where, you know, someone might be able to source more successfully in Mexico than they would in China, uh, or in India, as opposed to China. Uh, so that's that's really where we're we're looking towards. Gotcha. Do you do you see a big play for a lot of? I know here because we're both located in the United States. Do you see that there's a more competitive growth for manufacturers in China? And by manufacturers, everyone out there is listening. Uh, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'll reintroduce us real quick. I'm Ryan Kramer with Ping Pong Payments. I'm the affiliate marketing manager um, here on Crossover Commerce, my show where I bring on guests in the e-commerce industry to give a different perspective and hopefully grow in terms of e-commerce and Amazon selling. Uh, I have Francois from Novaland, who's the business development manager, been there almost, you know, what, since day one, you, you were mentioning earlier about your background there. Uh, so his expertise is in sourcing uh, logistics um, opportunities or, you know, different kinds of like supply chain management in that capacity for sellers internationally and domestically here in the United States. But both of our companies are international. Um, I want to take this question kind of maybe more United States route. You always see, um, you know, the comparison between it's cheaper if you source your product from overseas. Is that always 100% the case? Or can you find good um, manufacturing, competitive manufacturers here in the United States or in North America or maybe just places that not a lot of people, you know, think about looking? Because I feel like number one and two is China and India. Is that almost always the case or... I think it will be. Uh, now, th there's a lot of conversation around nearshoring or uh, you know, just bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. Um, and I, I think in certain aspects, uh, particularly when it comes to maybe construction products or uh, more raw materials with lumber, uh, that's that could be the case. Uh, but when you're talking about at a grand scale, what a company is going to look at is what's in the best interest of the shareholders, right? right? Why would I manufacture it here in the U.S. when I can get it for a quarter of the price in Mexico, or I can get it for right. a tenth of the price in China? Um, and they just have such powerhouse of supply chains, uh, you know, India and China, and Vietnam even, uh, and Malaysia, a lot of Southeast Asian countries in general, uh, where their infrastructure is really built around manufacturing. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you have a country that does that, uh, it's going to be hard to compete. Uh, and, and when that's not America's sole focus, uh, we're very, you know, consumer centric service based country. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we're going to continue sourcing from those countries regardless. 
do you do you foresee that being an issue whether it's you know not to get we're not being political in one way shape or form it's just economics in general of when you have international sellers or people that are just you know if you're looking for goods to manufacture that do you think that the price is always going to outweigh hey made in the united states or made in company xyz is that do you think that will more than likely trumpet all all the time i think i would say price outweighs where it's located and where it's sourced from yeah i i think the more that we move into e-commerce it's going to stay that way uh, because mm -hmm. people aren't staying loyal to you know uh, a u.s brand necessarily and saying oh that is a u.s brand that i want to buy because it's made in the usa uh, now there's that niche uh, definitely where mm -hmm. People love to buy made of the USA products and they don't care about how much more expensive it is. Uh, but the vast majority, I, I would say of even my friends and, and you know, families that I know that are more so in that middle class section, they don't care. They just want a cheap product. They're like, why would I buy, you know, this GoPro for $400? I could buy the one with a Chinese symbol on it for 50. <laughs> right. And, um, and again, that, and that's a loyalty thing. And I, I think that's a, a psychological behavior that has changed over time. I don't think one way or another it's a bad thing or a good thing. I just think a lot at the end of the day, a lot of people look at their pocketbook, try to get very comparable, you know, if it's good quality product, which again, manufacturers in overseas markets, when I say overseas, again, if you're tuning in from, you know, Asia or India or um, any of those overseas, we're located in the United States for this perspective. Um, we, you know, you still see very high quality products coming out of those countries more often than not. And that's why a lot of people continue to go back there. The reason why they're so cheap, I believe more often than not is because of just the labor force that they're able to pay, um, you know, their workers. Again, that's, a, that's a different, you know, different road to go down, but <laughs> not to, not to, not to bring anyone down. And obviously we just had so many different like political ramifications with, with elections here still going on uh, in the United States. But I, I still think that e-commerce in general will be needed. Um, economies are built on these partnerships and these infrastructures. Like you said, China and India did a very good job of establishing those things. I think if, from your, from what I'm hearing from you, Francois, is that the United States doesn't just put effort into, you know, wanting to take over that marketplace. They would rather consume it and rather get it sourced than manufacture and outsource. Is that fair to say? That's very fair to say. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think it'll change anytime soon. Right. So what's kind of the, you know, where are you guys as a company? And we're kind of coming up on time. And again, thanks for everyone for joining us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, um, all, all of our social media channels. If you like what you hear, obviously like our channels, um, follow Novaland, obviously follow Ping Pong Payments for future episodes. Uh, we are actually talking again next week uh, on a webinar that Ping Pong's hosting. So you'll get us two back along with uh, another individual who's talking about VAs, which will be really cool um nathan hirsch but um for uh, for those of you who are you know maybe ask questions feel free to comment below and we'll make sure that francois gets those questions and he can answer and his team is available for those as well maybe a couple other things what's what's kind of that that um projection what do you what are you kind of forecasting for your team for yourself in that growth model for the next you know maybe year three years or so what, what's kind of that that look like for you guys it's funny. I just had a conversation like very similar to this with uh, with Lisa, um, just in general. And it's it's very hard to say 
right? Because uh, as a startup, you, your ultimate goal is really just to make an awesome product. Uh, or, or you know, some startups' goals are really just to make it as much money as possible. Um, fortunately and unfortunately, that's not our target. Our target is actually to make the supply chain a much more streamlined and safe, uh, uh, just supply chain, I guess, it, it, for lack of a better term, where not just the Fortune 500s and not just the medium to large size enterprise businesses in the US and, and globally uh, are able to take advantage of uh, you know, China and Indian manufacturing and Vietnamese manufacturing. Uh, but really the the everyday players, the the Amazon sellers, uh, the Walmart, you know, marketplace sellers, the the target sellers, any third party seller that really wants to start a business and is serious about it, uh, it's opening those doors for them uh, and, and making sure that that learning curve isn't as costly as it was uh, pre-Noviland, uh, I, I like to say. And, um, building that uh, platform out to, to make it as simple as possible uh, where it, you shouldn't be jumping through 20 hoops to find a good manufacturer uh, as long as you know what you're looking for uh, in your product we should be able to help you so our goal really is to really perfect this and take this international uh, more so just outside of china and uh, you know grow in different manufacturing markets um, and opening new opportunities for new businesses that's awesome. And I, I mean, that's obviously good to see that you guys are growing, continue to help customers. Um, I'm sure your customers, if they're tuning in right now, you know, love to hear what you guys' vision is growing. Uh, is it outside of Amazon or are you guys looking to do, continue to kind of focus on that, that Amazon sellers landscape? Well, I think that that landscape itself is, is changing, right? Walmart just came out with Walmart plus and now their marketplace is expanding uh, exponentially with the U S and Canada. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's you know, lower fees, it's lower competition, PPC is cheaper. So I think as that grows, you will see a larger uh, section of, of Amazon sellers, which are really just e-commerce businesses, uh, expand into these new markets. Um, so we're not focused on Amazon. We're really good with, you know, prepping, uh, you know, consolidating and doing all that for, for Amazon FBA uh, and FBM. but. Uh, it's helping companies go multi-channel also. It's helping them get in the Wayfair, going to Walmart and fulfilling those orders for them uh, because there's so much more out there than just Amazon. Obviously, Amazon's the, the biggest one, the easiest the, one, I would say. The biggest piece uh, of the pie, yep. Exactly. It is, it is. Uh, but there's so much more of that pie that, that other companies can gobble up. So uh, it's finding new opportunities for our users and our customers and, and helping them uh, successfully streamline their supply chains. 100%. I, I think that that's just a ton of information, obviously, that we take away from today. Uh, I never want to get a bucket of sand. And <laughs> if I just order, if I'm thinking one thing and I get a bucket of sand, I think there's going to be a lot of people in my household or wherever your business is that's going to be quite upset. And so that, that it's a scary, it's a scary, you know, realistic, obviously, something that could happen. But obviously, companies like you exist to kind of help mediate, make sure those things don't happen. Um, if there, if people have more questions uh, for you, Francois, what, what, what's kind of the best way to get in touch with you? I know obviously Novalane.com is a, is the, where you guys live on your on the website, but what's kind of the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, they can shoot us an email, uh, inquiries at Novalane.com, or they can shoot me an email directly. I have no problem with that. Uh, Francois at Novalane.com. Uh, my name is spelled funny, so thank you for putting that up there. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Um, 
yeah, definitely reach out to us there. You can reach out to us on Facebook. Our uh, messenger is, is always live. Uh, when we're away, we try to still answer those questions. Um, Facebook, yeah. Instagram, DMs, uh, that, that's another method that you know, anyone can really get a hold of us. Uh, just follow us on Facebook and you'll you know, learn as much education about supply chain as possible too. Right, and are you, you guys just recently came out with a podcast, correct? Not yet. Or uh, coming out. We, to be we, to be determined, yeah. To be determined. Uh, Lisa's going to kill you for trying to accelerate that. <laughs> Sorry, Lisa, if you're listening. Uh, I, I think you guys have a lot of great content. So yeah, if that's that's something to to come down the way, what what are you going to be? Uh, what, what's going to be the topic of your guys' show? Uh, I'm not sure yet. That's still something that we're sort of hashing out. Hopefully in Q1, uh, that's something okay. that we are aiming for. Uh, so I will keep in touch with you. No matter what, we'll have you on. I, I want to learn more about ping pong payments as well. And uh, I know it's going to help out a lot of our users uh, because uh, ping pong is kind of new to the game. It's already a pretty big company, but it's it's kind of new to the game, I think, for Amazon sellers. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's important for more of them to actually understand what it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll give a quick plug of ping pong. For those of you who don't know, obviously we're cross-border payments solution, helping people save money when you're selling internationally uh, or sending your um, VAT authorities their, you know, their tax or even just paying your suppliers overseas. Very similar to what Novaland does. We actually help you. Um, <laughs> this is funny because my boss is like, make sure you always talk about ping pong. Um, but yeah, the, the plug for ping pong, obviously that's not what this platform is, but ping pong can obviously help create that international bank account and you need to pay your suppliers and not always have to exchange rate or um, you know pay if you're in the United States pay USD to RMB in China you know that exchange rate they're going to tack on fees you're most often than not your suppliers are going to tack on those fees which is terrible for you so we help you establish those international bank accounts um, you know for free and get them going and obviously the FX rates you can have a low fee and working with that. So if you want to learn more, obviously usa.pingpongx.com. Thank you for that natural segue to my my little uh, 15 second pitch of You're ping welcome. pong. But everyone, yeah, but everyone uh, for Novaland and for ping pong, you need more information. You just need to throw around some ideas. Please reach out to our contact us forms. Uh, this is a platform we just want to provide education and obviously um, for more help on those platforms and marketplaces. That's where our services kind of excel and. Uh, help people grow. So for Francois, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm going to kind of cap us off and then uh, I'll see you next week. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> so for everyone joining, thank you again. Uh, I'm Ron Kramer with Ping Pong Payments. I'm the affiliate marketing manager. This is Crossover Commerce. For future episodes, like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram. We'll be pushing all that. Follow Novaland as well for all their future content and helping Amazon and e-commerce sellers. Thanks again for everyone joining us. Bye, guys.